Hello and welcome to the Exvangelical Podcast. I'm your host, Mark West. Uh, today we're going to go through an article I wrote recently on my blog. I'm going to read it here in a few moments. It's called Exvangelical, What If the Word of God is Not the Bible? Now, coming from an evangelical background, that's, that's semi-controversial. Outside of evangelicalism, it's, it's not so much, but inside evangelicalism, it is. Uh, it's the concept of the elevation of Scripture. I believe that we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort, um, you know, especially in the evangelical community, focused on the Word, focused on getting the Bible into as many hands as we possibly can. <clears throat> and while I believe that is a good thing, it's, you know, the more people that read the Bible is good. It's good for all of us, uh, for people to be engaging with the Scriptures, because I do believe that you find God in the Scriptures. Jesus said as much in His ministry. So if we believe Jesus and we trust the words that He speaks, uh, then we can believe that we read the Bible, and in the Bible we can encounter God, because scriptures are in the Bible. However, one of the things that I've run into recently, and I may talk about this a little bit more after I read the blog post, because I don't want to get too distracted from the main point, is that how do we decide what is scripture and what is not? When is that choice made? Uh, one of the things in, I'm going to do in this show is in the show notes, I'm going to link to an article written by a gentleman named Keith Giles, and he's asking the question, do we need, or is it now time to put together a, a new Christian canon or a new biblical canon? And he's really asking the question rhetorically. He's not saying that it is time for new canon, but what he is pointing out is the history of how the canon came together before we had a canon, before we had what we call today the Bible, and how even today there are even multiple... Um, there are multiple ideas of what is acceptable as Scripture today. Uh, various denominations have their own understanding of what is the acceptable, the acceptable group of writings, group of Scriptures, by which we can be led and by which we can be drawn uh, closer to God or drawn to God and build our relationship with God. Uh, that is one of the things that that I hope that we can begin having an open and honest conversation about. Uh, who decided and how did they decide what the scriptures were? Uh, the article that I'll post, it points to several early church fathers and, and how they how they made their decisions on what was scripture and, and what was not. Um, so it's it's a matter of being able to 
distinguish between uh, living in the Spirit and listening to the Spirit in the Scriptures and what tradition tells us Scripture is. Because I really, from my understanding of history, it almost feels like the, the current canon that we have was designed more to uh, control the messaging on what God is and what our faith is. And that's the question that I kind of begin to ask about uh, in this blog post. So I hope as you listen to this that, that you are challenged and that you will be drawn into a closer relationship with God, uh, that you will be drawn to Him uh, first and foremost, and and that it will be a blessing to your life, that you will come to know Him more uh, through what I talk about in this blog post. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring you to X, or I'm going to begin reading Exvangelical, What If the Word of God is Not the Bible? And we'll get to that after this break. Welcome back. Now, I know it sounds like I'm casually wading into deep and raging waters without a life vest. I've been pondering this question a lot lately, so I've decided to begin sharing some of my thoughts with you guys on it. My hope is that this post isn't offensive. I'm not intending it to be that way. Uh, this post is more of a, think of it more of a discussion of a question. And that question has been persistently bubbling under the surface in my heart and in my mind. It's one of the many queries that have been hopelessly lodged and rattling around in my packed psyche. This question is the launching point for a lot of things I'm allowing to marinate in my mind. It was pushed to the forefront by a conversation I had on Facebook. One of those knockdown drag-out Facebook conversations. Now, I'm glad the conversation happened. I'm just not thrilled at the misunderstanding lingering in its wake. The conversation began with a statement that I didn't realize would be controversial. Basically, I made the statement that we prefer to not live by the Holy Spirit because living by the Spirit is dangerous. We, provide, we prefer things with boundaries and lines because those are safer. Uh, and the more accepted uh, things, the better for us. Now, in my, my blog post, I share the link to that thread so you can read the entire conversation if you want to. I believe that you may derive something beneficial by reading the discussion. I'm not going to repeat the entire thing in this post uh, for the sake of brevity and precision. I was trying to make the point, apparently in terms more muddy than clear, that we tend to avoid the power of life in the Holy Spirit. I do believe we do this because we're afraid of where, to what, and to whom the Holy Spirit will direct us. We prefer boundaries and lines, and God's Spirit ignores them both. The thread took an unexpected turn. One of my friends swiftly chimed in that the Spirit must be tested against the Scripture. I disagreed. My reason for disagreeing is that the Holy Spirit 
is God. The scriptures elevate the Holy Spirit. The scriptures admit that the Spirit is totally unencumbered God. The scriptures never elevate themselves in like manner. My conclusion is that the Holy Spirit, being God and therefore greater than the scriptures, is the test of the scriptures, and not vice versa. It was quickly noted in that conversation that the Spirit would not lead us contrary to the scripture. I believe that's an inaccurate way to look at both the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Scripture. The Holy Spirit guides us to something higher and greater than Scripture. Think of how Jesus led us in the Sermon on the Mount. The Spirit leads us the same way into a full-fledged, self-engulfing relationship with the Word of God. The Spirit... In fulfillment of Jesus' teachings in John 14.12 and John 16.7 and John 16.12-15 is our advantage and does indeed lead us into greater things. This doesn't mean that the scripture isn't or can't be involved in the process. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16-17 and 17, uh, points out how the scripture does work. The scripture teaches that it teaches us the same thing about the Word of God as the Holy Spirit does. The two agree on the identity of the Word of God. I don't believe the Word of God is the Bible. But I do believe that the Word of God can be found in the Bible, and I strenuously and emphatically reject the inglorious notion that if one scripture is found fallible or erroneous, that we must toss the baby with the bathwater. Such is a logical hole in which many bibliologists try to corner those with honest questions. Many who truly love Jesus, in order to label them as outside of the faith, in order to force them into compliance with their own contrived ideas about God that fit neatly in their boxes. In my opinion, this assertion can't be further from reality. Let's dive into the scripture and, and see what we find. As we read, listen for the Holy Spirit's witness. John provides one of the most clear identifications in his first chapter. In John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The scripture tells us that the Word pre-existed creation. Okay, that means the Word can't be the scriptures or any version of the Bible, including the overly exalted King James Version. We also see that the Word was both with God and was God. So, the Word of God is God. So, again, not the Scriptures or any version of the Bible. But John had more to say. In John 1, verses 2 through 4, he says that he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the word of God isn't a thing. The word of God is a living person. The word of God is the person who existed in the beginning with God. This is an obvious reference to creation. 
we see Him, the Word of God, as the source of all creation. The Word of God is life itself. The Word of God is also light, another reference to creation. We're left to ask ourselves just, who is this divine person that is the source of all existence? Well, John answers that in verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now we get it. The Word of God is none other than Jesus Christ. If we recall the words of Christ, we realize that He has told us this already. In John 5, 39-40, Jesus is recorded as saying, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Me. And you are unwilling to come to Me so that you may have life. So Jesus taught us that we can find the Word of God, Jesus Himself, in the Scriptures. He is the Word of God, not the Scriptures themselves. The Scriptures testify about the Word of God. Are we today committing the same fallacy as the religious leaders in Jesus' day? Are we elevating the Scriptures and missing the very Word of God of of whom they bear witness? In case we didn't get this image, John comes back to it later in another writing. In Revelation 19.13, speaking of Jesus, he says, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. John reiterates that Jesus is the Word of God in his final vision in Revelation. I'm Drawn to John's imagery, Jesus bearing the title of the Word of God while dressed in a blood-drenched robe. The blood is his own sacrificial blood. His robe is not dipped in the blood of his enemies, as so many teach in our day. He conquered this world through his own death, by our violence born against him. He became the lamb we needed to sacrifice, but his word is his only offensive weapon. As it continues in verse 15, he says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. Jesus doesn't strike the nations with violence. That's why the sword comes out of his mouth. His word strikes the nations just as it has struck all of us who have surrendered to him. It is the very sword of the Spirit of which Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, 17. The sword of God strikes in our heart, soul, spirit, and mind. So truly the word of God is Jesus Christ. The title belongs to him alone. He is the undisputed and undefeated owner of that name. Yet, the word of God is also the sword of the spirit. Well, because both are God. As the scriptures say in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
The Word of God is living, not dead. He is active, not idle. He is a sword that pierces into our own soul and spirit. The Word of God judges our thoughts and intentions. But the Word of God doesn't condemn. He gives light and life. As it's written about in John 3, verses 16 and 17. An encounter with the Word of God is entrance into a relationship with God Himself. In summary, the Word of God is found in Scripture, but is not bound by it. The Word of God is unlimited and boundless. The Word of God is not confined to Scripture while also yet being contained in and testified about within Scripture. I realize these statements are controversial. Can you trust me when I tell you how difficult this realization has been for me personally? I've thundered from the pulpit about what the Word of God says to quote any of a number of scriptures, while not realizing that the Word of God isn't something I can control or dictate with those same texts. I'm so fearful we've attempted to define the Word of God by our own little boxes. We're missing His fullness because we've predetermined that He can only do and be what we can proof-text Him to do and be from Scripture. In doing so, we ignore the very Scriptures themselves that remind us that the Word of God is higher and more exalted and more encompassing than anything we can imagine. It says that in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. So, yes... I've transitioned to a different understanding of the Word of God and of Scripture. I no longer see the two as synonymous. While one does find the Word of God in Scripture, not every Scripture is the Word of God. Go ahead, lob your grenades and scream your chants. Bring pitchforks and torches if it helps you work through what I'm saying today. Once you've finished, come and let us reason together. As it says in Isaiah 1, 18, allow me to share some of the questions that are leading me to this conclusion. Does God's love and respect? Does God's love respect or eviscerate consent? Does God's love honor or abase human autonomy? Does God desire only the worship of our heart, soul, and strength, or does He want the worship of our mind as well? Does God desire our robotic, forced worship, or our chosen devotion? These are only a few of the questions which I have grappled with in my troubled spirit. I love Jesus Christ with every fiber within me. Focusing my devotional times on His words and works has also contributed to this path upon which I'm now traversing. My hope is that you'll read this post and think. Debate within yourself in the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to lead and guide. It's exactly what I'm doing as I write this very post. My view on this is held with an open hand. I'm trusting the Word of God to guide me into all truth by the work of the Holy Spirit. I trust Him to never lead me astray from His character and will. However, in closing, I'll admit that this journey is frightening and dangerous. My path leads outside the lines and the boxes those lines have created. 
unbound existence is quite terrifying. My hope and prayer is that some of you will do more than simply sojourn at my side, but will walk with me side by side until I get to where God is leading. Grace and peace. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed listening as I read through the the blog post that I made this week uh, asking the question, what if the Word of God is not the Bible? Now, in the show notes, uh, you will see a link uh, to my blog, of course, but then you will also see a link to an article written by Keith Giles that asked the question, is it time for a new biblical canon? And then you'll see a link to the Facebook post uh, that I made that sparked uh, this conversation, that sparked uh, this blog post. I hope you'll take the time to read the both of them. Um, what we find, especially in the in the piece uh, written by Giles, is that um, is that in church history, especially before the canon was made official, several hundred years after the life of Christ was that there were different ideas of what should be included as Scripture and what should not. He talks about uh, Marcion of, of Sinope uh, in 140 AD, who had a list that included 11 New Testament books, uh, the Gospel of Christ, which was a shorter version of the Gospel of Luke. He included Galatians, First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Thessalonians, Romans, Laodiceans, which is now currently a lost epistle of Paul, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. He left out James, First uh, and Second Peter, First, Second, and Third John, Jude, Hebrews, Revelation, and the pastoral epistles of Paul, which were First and Second Timothy and Titus. And there's kind of the suggestion in history that Marcion left these out because these weren't actually written by Paul. They were written by someone later as a summary or a synopsis of Paul's teaching and and an attempt to create an authoritative concept and construct of what church life should be. Origen had his own personal canon. Uh, it included uh, all the books of our current New Testament except for James, Second Peter, and Second and Third John. But he added the Shepherd of Hermas as scripture. And if you've read that, that is a very beautiful book. Uh, Athanasius uh, included the book of Baruch and the letter of Jeremiah, and, the obitted, and he omitted the book of Esther as scripture. Jerome believed that the book of Judith should be among the scriptures. So for 400 years, it just depended on what Christian or what church you came to faith in as to what was considered the sacred set of scriptures. So what makes us think that this council in 400 should be the definitive statement on what is scripture and what is not scripture? Um, this isn't to point a finger or say, oh, you know, all of these books are not scripture. All of these texts that we have in our Bible are not scripture. I really enjoy all the books of the Bible when I read them. Uh, I see scriptural value in all of them. But by that same token, I'm not going to 
try to say what is the appropriate text and what is not. Uh, what I have decided to do, and some of you will agree with the way I'm, I've decided to handle it, and some of you will not. Some of you will consider it outcast or an outsider view. But what I've decided to do is I begin with what Jesus said and what Jesus did and the fact that Jesus told his disciples that when they saw him, they were looking at the Father. So the character and the actions we see of Jesus in his ministry is who the Father really is. And I use that as the window and lens. I see Christ as the full development of the character of God in Scripture. I believe that we see in a lot of the Scriptures, we see a development of God. I guess you could call it a progressive revelation of God that is filtered through different cultures, different circumstances. Uh, and when we see Jesus, we finally see the fullness in human expression of who God is and what God does. So that causes me to examine a lot of texts through that lens, through the lens of Jesus Christ. It's not lost on me that, that many times when Jesus would quote a scripture, he would leave the vengeance out. He would leave the wrath out. And he focused on the love of God, on the mercy of God, on the grace of God. And that is who Jesus was in his ministry. Jesus was the one who, as he hung on a cross, asked forgiveness for everyone because we don't know what we're doing. He was one who not only told us to love our enemies, but he embodied that on the cross. So that's for me, is who the Father is. That, for me, is who God is, and that is the lens through which I view everything in Scripture. I start with Jesus. I start with my King, and I work out. So if I read something in Scripture that seems to contradict something Jesus taught or something Jesus did, I question it. And that leads me to question a lot of our traditions, a lot of our understandings that we have today, because I don't see those things happening in the ministry of Jesus. So yes, I know that will put me at odds with a lot of you, but I hope that as you come to odds, you don't come thinking that I'm here to try to diminish you or eviscerate you or take you down in any way. I'm just here as someone who loves Jesus and wants to live like Jesus lived. I want to do, as Paul wrote in Ephesians, I want to be an imitator of God. I want to live as an imitator of Jesus Christ. I want His character to flow through my life. And that's what I wrote this blog post about, was just to begin asking the question, what should we look like? What should our lives represent uh, in this Christian era? And... How do we really come to grips with what a canon of Scripture is and how we should properly understand what is written in the Scriptures, in that canon of Scripture? Because for me, 
I'm not one of those that believes that every single thing in the Scripture has to be infallible in order to believe in an infallible God. I don't have to believe that everything in Scripture has to be inerrant in order for me to believe in an inerrant God, because I don't elevate Scripture to God. I don't make an idol of those writings. I understand that when God spoke to those people who wrote in the Scriptures, He did not remove their humanity. He didn't take them over like a robot. His Spirit spoke and moved in their hearts, and they wrote from their hearts. They wrote from their humanity. They wrote from their circumstance and from their culture, and they all those things are built into what we read in Scripture, which makes it so much more amazing that certain themes are found present throughout all of it. That points to the Creator. That points to the Word of God. And I believe that is what Jesus meant when He said, when we search the Scriptures, we should find Him. The Scriptures weren't given for us in order to use them to to run each other's lives. Instead, they were given to us so that each of us could find a mirror into our own souls and a window into a relationship with the divine. So I'm going to leave you with those thoughts today. And I just hope that as you read this post, you'll process and you'll think, and maybe you'll think with me and, and help me as I work through this process. As I hold this, as I say in the post, in an open hand, I'm just trying to understand my Creator, and I hope you'll walk with me in this journey as well. So until next time, grace and peace.